check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, we're going to be covering preseason week two. We're going to talk about a few different games. That's coming up. We're going to have Dave. We're going to have Eric on to do that all. But before we do that, just like last week, we're here to talk about the Detroit Lions hard knocks with Ben Bosher. Ben covers the Lions for GridironHeroics.com. And he goes to Central Michigan and works with their athletic program. So this is kind of like the, the, the most fun segment of the week right now because, you know, Lions are an amusing team. It's always a good watch. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I uh, actually just moved into my apartment uh, up in Mount Pleasant where Central Michigan is. Um, so I'm enjoying it. Uh, I have a week before school starts and now it's just time to relax, watch some sports, the ones that are on. And, uh, you know, of course, watch Hard Knocks. That's the whole reason I'm here. Yeah, this was a fun episode. We got a little bit more football, you know, than we did last time. I want I want you to tell me your favorite moments because just as a Lions fan, like I, I can go through what I find amusing. But I think you there's a certain joy you get out of this, even though perhaps they didn't close out the game in the way that we would have hoped. Well, yeah, I think some of my more favorite parts of the episode was I really like the whole um, Rodrigo segment with the rookie linebacker, Malcolm Rodriguez, he seems like an awesome character on this team. Um, and, you know, with a defense that's got some holes in it, it's nice that there's a six-round guy that's going to be able to, or maybe not going to be able to, but might have a chance to step in and make a day-one impact in a position uh, the Lions desperately need to help in. Um, and that, I really liked that, along with Amon Ross St. Brown's dad, John Brown. <laughs> that dude was, like, awesome. Like, I want... Less Aiden Hutchinson family and more John Brown family. Because anytime that guy was on the TV, it was just like the most entertaining scenes of the show. Yeah, for sure. So it's funny that you say that, that uh, you want more of his family than the Aiden Hutchinson family. And I totally agree. I mean, they seem like a nice family. Sure. But it's like, (laughs) I want to see somebody who's so into it. I don't, again, this is not throwing shade at people who don't know that much about football, but I don't. I don't want to watch somebody watch a game and ask if it was a sack or a TFL. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, I just, I want to be with somebody who knows exactly what they're looking at if possible, you know? So that's, I, I did enjoy that. Uh, uh, the Brown segment as well. I mean, I don't know, like if I would have wanted that as, as a, as a, a dad necessarily. Cause it's like, so I, look, this is coming from someone who maybe didn't have that experience. So I can't say for sure. But I feel like it would be nice to have a disconnect from that, like work to home. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it kind of, yeah. I know he says that he's dad at home and trainer in, in the gym, but I feel like there's he's probably less of a separation there than, you know, you would make it out. He seems like an incredibly intense guy. So I I don't know if I would want to grown up. I mean, I'm sure I would look a lot more ripped than I do right now, <laughs> but I don't know if I would have want to grown up with that. But it's fun to watch. He's definitely an interesting character. Should have the line should just put them on their payroll, man. Just have them be their strength <laughs> and conditioning coach. And I think everyone's going to be looking a lot bigger. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'll tell you what, like, it's funny that they focused on it and they commented on it so much. But, uh, but, uh, I'm on Ross St. Brown does look pretty shredded. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I mean, you look at a lot of wideouts and obviously they're usually, you know, in pretty good shape, but they're not all cut like him. He is, no, he is definitely 
one of the more ripped up uh, wide receivers in, in the NFL. Now, you know, what's funny was the, um, the whole Rodrigo thing. I, I, I liked him, but it's also funny that sometimes like they really try and make a thing out of nothing. Like his, his last name is Rodriguez and his nickname is Rodrigo. It's like, isn't there something yeah. else that you could have like, designated, <laughs> designated voiceover to than that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just nitpicking, but it, but you know, and they all loved him too. I forget who he said gave him the nickname. One of the coaches, I think. I gave think it, it to was him. Aaron Glenn. I believe. Yeah, I, believe. I think you might be right, but it, I don't know. It was it was pretty funny. He's a good character, you know. He's full of laughing, and he just seems like one of those guys in the field that's just kind of a nut. That's just like gets jacked up on adrenaline when he gets hit. Like even if he gets hit on his butt, like mm-hmm. he's just ready to bounce back up and start hitting people again. He, and in the preseason game, like he was kind of just everywhere. Like it does look like as of right now, he's probably going to be one of the starting linebackers. And mm-hmm. I don't mind, like he's going to have some learning experience or he's going to have some learning to do, I should say. But I love a linebacker that's just going to run around like a madman compared to, you know, some of the other older guys we have in our team that it just feels like they're standing there and get swallowed up by blocks. At least when this guy gets a block, Rodrigo, he just, goes in and tries to light the dude up as hard as he can. It's awesome. Yeah. And so we had another uh, appearance of the Dan Campbell speech that like, started one place and ended up, I'm not sure exactly if that's where he was going. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if he had that, that end in mind and he couldn't find a transition to exactly what it was, or he just started it and ended up in a random place. But he starts off talking about, make sure you tie your shoes. Like, like usually, <laughs> okay. So, you know, as a storyteller, usually you want to start with something that's going to kind of be the key to the to the to the closer, you know, whether it's a joke or just a story. And then it's like the finish was, OK, yeah, now uh, now now don't don't take yourself mentally out of the game. Just make sure you're in it. like, <laughs> yeah, so, another Dan Campbell moment. It seemed like it worked, though. You know, I guess when you're in it and you like hear the resonance of his voice and he's just barking at you, you just you just go with it. But He's just classic Dan Campbell. And I like that speech, too, because obviously in the fourth quarter, he was talking about the fourth quarter and, like, making sure the starters were still engaged when the backups were in. And, you know, like, preseason week two, like, after week one, when it's all, like, the adrenaline and hype's gone, it does get hard to watch, like, the fourth quarter of preseason <laughs> games. Like, let's just be honest. Like, even from a fan perspective, like, it, it doesn't tell a lot. Like, when the third stringers that are fighting for a spot – are in there in the final minutes of a game, but it just emphasizes the whole like team over personnel, or I guess team over like an individual on this team that Dan Campbell's trying to install. And yeah, like you said, it seemed like it worked. So I- I'm just a fan of like, it- it's just another example of the culture he's bringing to this team. And that's something Hard Knocks really emphasized in this episode too, like the Detroit mentality and the, you know, the Detroit versus everybody for those who aren't from Michigan. I mean, if that's your first time hearing it, know that I've been hearing this <laughs> since I was little. Detroit versus everybody. It's a real thing here. And we, a lot of people from Detroit, I'm not from Detroit, but, um, you know, when you're from a state with, you know, one big city, uh, a lot of people tend to try to embrace that mentality. And it's just, it's a good way to just view it like, hey, like nothing's coming easy for this town. And the Lions are kind of embracing that too. You see it across most of Detroit sports, like, you look at the Pistons back in the days, the bad boys, um, you know, the Lions have never been great, but, you know, they're trying to bring that now. And I like it. Like Hard Knocks did a good job covering that. Yeah. So 
I mean, I, I've never lived in Detroit. I've just visited once, maybe I think just once. And it's it's like a, lo- a lot of cities in, in central U.S. and North Central, like they were once a great city. And I'm not saying they're not anymore, but, you know, uh, in terms of economics, they were one of the bigger cities in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's not really the same anymore. People feel that there are still generations who even remember what it was like before. You know, it's been that quick of a downturn. We've seen that with some cities like Buffalo as well. You know, and, and so I think that people often look to sports in a city to help characterize the narrative of the city. Right. And so as people are trying to turn things around, as people are trying to bring new energy to projects, to, you know, to to, to uh, public works projects and to, you know, their approach with their entire outlook on the city. Sports are kind of the way that everybody sees it and feels it happening. So I, I, I don't know if it's just coincidence that the the turnaround in Buffalo has corresponded with a turnaround in that city as well. You know, obviously they had tragedy earlier this year with the shooting in the supermarket. But being from that general area, it is a very clear and stark difference in that region from when I grew up to what it is now. And the football team is exactly the same, you know? And I, yeah, I think Detroit's like been the exact same way. I don't mean to get too much off the Lions and into other Detroit sports, but for those who don't know, they just put in a new arena for the Pistons and the Red Wings, Little Caesars Arena, and they really didn't put it in the nicest part of town like when they initially built it. But since then, they've a ton of new restaurants, new housing's gone in, and it's like really done a good job cleaning the city up just in a lot of different ways. I know Detroit gets a bad rap, but it like it truly is on the come up again. It's never going to be like one of these giant cities like Chicago or anything in the Midwest, but it's it's it gets a lot better, worse rap than it, it should now. And I think it's it's recovering from, you know, maybe not a great time, but it's on the way up again. I really do believe that. Yeah, and not being there and not seeing it and feeling it, I can't say, but but hopefully for everybody the Lions are good because I really do believe that it it changes the feeling around a region so before we jump into the preseason game i have to comment on amon ross st brown you know obviously his dad kind of stole the show but what i mean i don't think i've ever really listened to him talk before that is an intense man (laughs) he is seriously intense i have a lot of faith in how good he's going to be after hearing him talk i i usually have a pretty good read on people and that was not like a staged little conversation like that is him for sure no, I was watching the episode with my mom and my mom was like, do you think like they gave him a script to like say all the players drafted ahead of him after he listed all 14 of them, I think. And I was like, I, I don't think so. Like <laughs> he seemed like he knew that immediately everyone that was drafted above him. And he totally took on that underdog mentality, like the you counted me out thing. And, you know, you see it like in that drill he was doing where he's catching uh, the balls out of the machine, which clearly works because he was the number one receiver amongst all rookies in drops last year um, and like ninth in the NFL. So he's got these awesome hands. For some reason, I think a lot of people view him as like the smaller type receiver because he plays in the slot. He's kind of quick. But like you said, he's like really jacked and he's a tough guy. Like he's not someone I'd want to meet in open space. What's I mean, I wouldn't want to meet any of these guys in open space, (laughs) but (laughs) but those days are long past. Yeah. He's he's going to cause some problems this year. And I like that they they dove right into him in the second episode because he is like, I mean, as much as I love Dan Campbell and everyone's rallying around him, it does take the players to win some games. And he's one of these guys that 
is the reason Detroit's looked at as, hey, like this is a team that could have a big turnaround. Guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, who really showed up at the end of the year and potentially now could work their way into a, another tier of receivers. And hopefully by the end of the tier, end of the year, he just keeps climbing that list of like really good receivers in this league. Um, you just got to hope that Jared Goff can find them. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, he's, he's a guy that he, he plays in a part of the field where I think Jared Goff is going to be willing to go. And I'll be honest, mm -hmm. I think as long as he stays healthy, he's probably going to lead the team in receptions, at least if not overall yards, you know, because sometimes it's not necessarily exactly the same if you're catching a lot of balls underneath, but but yeah, he's going to work out of the slot and he's going to have a pretty substantial target share. And I think he's going to be a big time chain mover. He's going to keep games moving. And once you get into the red zone, his shiftiness and his strength is going to be a benefit to him. So he'll probably score a fair amount as well, especially as they're waiting for uh, Jameson Williams to come back. So let's jump into the final preseason or not the final, like the first preseason game. But th th it was fun to watch. I intentionally didn't watch it last week live. Because I, or even as a recap, because I wanted to watch it in Hard Knocks. So you know, I was actually down to the wire, kind of trying trying to see how they closed it out. But there were a few fun moments. I mean, uh, Aiden Hutchinson getting winded off off a of one drive. It's like, yeah, welcome, welcome to the NFL, man. It's not the same as it was no. in Michigan. Yeah, it's like you're going against a even better than five star player like every play it's like it feels it probably does feel like the national champion or not the national the playoffs every game like every snap because you know there's no bad players in the nfl anymore like there is in college like mm -hmm. you can find a weakness but yeah i you know like i we talked about it's hard to really judge like oh yeah the outcome of games sometimes in the preseason because first drive we went down and scored right away jared goff looked good deandre swift looked great and it was really cool to see from the sideline as well, like in the Hard Knocks episode, the conversations that are happening and, you know, the emotions of the coaches and some of the players. But they went down and drove and scored pretty easily that first drive. And then the, while the starters were in, you see the other side of the ball. And, you know, some of those worries that a lot of Lions fans have had about the defense started to show. And mm -hmm. that does seem like a legitimate problem. But, you know, there's still a lot of learning to do. We kind of let both of their quarterbacks, um, Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, run all over us, which was something the Lions were actually pretty good at last year against, like, Lamar and Kyler. So kind of surprised by that. But, you know, there's still a lot of uh, work to do before the, the season starts. And we got to be ready for Jalen Hurts week one. So we do have to clean that up a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the Lions are a team that's added a lot. They've mm -hmm. added a lot of players. They've added some star potential. I, they're still a team that probably lacks a little bit on defense. And, you know, I haven't asked you this and we haven't really seen it, but what's, what, what's kind of the word on Jeff Okuda? Like what, what's the expectation from him? So Jeff Okuda and um, Will Harris, who formerly was a safety, were actually competing for the cornerback two spot um, in training camp. Now, as of this most recent preseason game that happened yesterday, Jeff Okuda just straight up was with the second team. So it's unfortunate, you know, as a Lions fan, it's hard to see really like I've wrote about this. It's just you get drafted third overall, very high expectations to, you know, Matt Patricia, who <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about Matt Patricia, but that's for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> and, you know, 
you start out, you're put in a t- horrible defense. You're expected to guard all these elite receivers like Devontae Adams in your division. And, you know, it, you don't have that great of a season. No one's helping you. Um, then you get hurt. You come back the next year with a new coach, new defensive regime. You get hurt week one. And now you're back for your third year with your third dif- different defensive regime. And it's just it's just kind of unfortunate for him. But, you know, if we can get a solid slot corner spot out of him or third corner, nickel corner, whatever you want to call it, I think that'd be helpful for us. You know, it's you can never have enough corners in the room. But it, it is unfortunate that someone you draft third overall is uh, going to be on your second unit in year three. It is what it is, you know. A previous regime, you got to kind of turn things around. It's always nice when you've got one solid player, at least, from who was here before. But, you know, what are you going to do, you know? But so they've got a few defensive linemen. They are developing some younger guys at linebacker. But, again, if you're looking for a potential six-round rookie to be a player for you, that just kind of tells you the state of your, you know, yeah, your defensive unit. It, I don't think there's a way to sugarcoat it, unfortunately. Yeah, I love Alex Anzalone, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Look, Anzalone, you like, you could do worse. But I remember that Saints defense was so good, mm-hmm. and he was just he was the place that you just targeted if you were trying yeah. to beat somebody in coverage. It's just not yep. not a skill that he really has at a high level or you know NFL level. So, unfortunately, like he's a, he's a good piece to have, but mm-hmm. I, same type of thing. It's like it's like. There's a reason that even though there's a lot of optimism around the Lions in general, I think expecting a lot out of this particular season in terms of win losses yeah. is probably setting yourself up for a little bit of disappointment, right? So what else did you have from this the preseason game? Any any notable moments that you took away from Hard Knocks? Well, during the episode, they were showing a lot of David Blau, which confused me because I was like, we haven't formally met Jared Goff yet, so why are we talking about the third string I told you because we've already had too much Jared Goff on Hard Knocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you see it a little later why he might have gotten some early screen time is because he kind of cost the Lions the game um, yeah. to some extent or pretty much all his extent. And now, like just days after that, the Lions are apparently in rumors to trade for Mason Rudolph, which oh. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like oh man, or our backup quarterback problem is just totally <laughs> solved now. Yeah, because we have Mason Rudolph, but you know it's uh, unfortunate that David Blau had uh, that kind of end to potentially his career with the Lions. If we do end up pulling the trigger, but it, it also does kind of worry me. Like, if in the off chance Jared Goff does go down with an injury, you're looking at the rest of the quarterback room, and it's just like everything you expected the season to be, like all the hype around it it just kind of seems like it'd be out the window, like, boom. Because Tim Boyle and David Blau, I mean, they're not necessarily top-tier backups in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, no disrespect to either of those guys, but with so much, like, optimism around the season, and like you said, there's still a lot of holes that people are, you know, maybe looking away from. But <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but, like, Jared Goff potentially is holding this team together when it comes down to the roster. Yeah, well, it's like I said, I think I I mentioned this on on the show with you last week, or maybe it was with the Lions uh, segment, you know, earlier in the summer. Having a guy like him ensures that you have 
real legitimate development from all of your other offensive players, Mm -hmm. right? Like he might not be the guy that's winning you games or carrying you to the playoffs or in the playoffs, but he is good enough that you can evaluate all of your other players, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can see if your, your receivers are effectively getting open and catching the ball and making plays, you know, that he, I don't want to minimize what he does for the team, but we've just seen that it's not, so Daniel Jeremiah has this thing and it's taken off and everybody says it. It's you're you're either you're either the truck or you're the trailer, right? You're either mm-hmm. pulling the offense or you're being carried by the offense. He is good enough to be carried by the offense and mm-hmm. not simultaneously hold it back, but he's definitely not pulling it either, right? He's not carrying it. So I, I agree with you. And of course, for for Blau. I mean, you know, he, the fact that he has, I can't remember if it's his wife or girlfriend. I think it's his wife. Yeah. <clears throat> if, uh, if you have a, a, a beautiful Olympic athlete to put on camera, right, they're going to find a way <laughs> to do that. You know what I yeah. mean? I think yeah. regardless of whether he, you know, just played fine at the end, they were going to get an opportunity to, to have he and her on, on Hard Knocks for sure. Yeah, definitely <laughs> at some point because I, I don't know if, people realize this or not but that clip was like a year old like i remember seeing that as a lion's fan mm-hmm. like last year when the olymp or two uh, two years old? whenever the olympics were on like that wasn't recent <laughs> so they they did kind of go digging for some of those clips and then they you know they brought his wife in i don't remember her name but and like they legitimately got introduced by hard knocks so you know you, you always wonder where that's going and it does feel like every year hard knocks like figures out who uh might be a getting cut and you know oh yeah <laughs> get, oh yeah gets them on the camera a little bit more you know they make the show uh they pull on your heart a little bit and show I the, think, the cutthroat sport that football is yeah i think we'll probably see a little bit more of that over the final three episodes too because they haven't really spent a lot of time with the bottom of the roster guys like they normally do so i i do expect that to come but all right ben thank you so much We're going to be jumping right into the preseason game recaps coming up, but just let everybody know where they can find you. And I'm looking forward to having you on again to recap all of Hard Knocks in a couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, Happy to come back. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Bosch or Ben. You'll find a whole lot of Lions content on there, other sports stuff, big basketball fan too. So you'll see a lot of stuff on there. Ben Bosch is the Instagram. Go ahead and search it and you'll be able to interact with me. I promise I'll respond to any retweets and stuff like that. All right. Thanks, Ben. We will see you again very soon. Okay, I am more than ready to jump into preseason week number two. Watching these games really felt like almost football. Like I had a few moments here and there where I I, I had that feeling. I know it's just preseason, but I almost had that feeling where the plays actually matter. So I'm juiced up. And today, of course, with me, I have my two fellow recappers, Dave Guberman and Eric Hitch. Of course, Dave writes for GridironHeroics.com covering the Titans and the Ravens. And Eric covers the Eagles. Dave, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, Max. Thanks for having me on. I'm ready to get a little antsy, like you said, getting ready for the regular season. We got to see some legit premier starting quarterbacks over the weekend, so I'm ready to get started. Yeah, man. Uh, A few. Not every game had starting quarterbacks. Uh, Some of us were luckier than others, but yeah, we got to see at least some. Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good as well, and like you guys said, this is probably... 
unfortunately, this is second to last preseason game. So you know what that means. Most likely no starters preseason game three. So we got to wait till now, September 8th for, you know, the stars come out and play again. Yeah, man. And we won't cover preseason week number three. We'll, you know, we'll mention some big injuries if that were to happen. But we're not going to actually do game recaps because, you know, we're probably not a starter among the entire bunch. But today we have some different teams that we did last week. We're going to be covering the Cowboys at Chargers, Commanders at Chiefs, the Panthers at Patriots, and the Broncos at Bills. So tried to make it so that we're not doing any of the same teams that we did last week to give a little bit of a, a diverse experience in the recaps. So the first one that we're going to jump right into is the Dallas Cowboys at Los Angeles Chargers. Unfortunately, no starters to speak of in this game, at least not at quarterback, but some good plays, you know, at least a vibe for what the depth looks like. So Dave, why don't you walk us through your initial takeaways from this game? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So pretty interesting game to say the least, most notably a pretty uh, wild second quarter, but Essentially, the Chargers were really looking to overhaul their special teams going into this season. They have a brand new special teams coordinator, Ryan Ficken, who spent the last 15 years in Minnesota, including spent last year as their special teams coordinator. They have a brand new punter in J.K. Scott, who's somewhat of an unknown. He only played in one game last year with the Jaguars. And they have a brand new long snapper in Josh Harris, who spent the last nine years with Atlanta. And a brand new kick returner slash punt returner in DeAndre Carter, who spent the last three years with the Commanders in Washington. So kind of that as a backdrop, I know that head coach Brandon Staley was not thrilled to see the special teams disaster that kind of took place against the Cowboys over the weekend. And that kind of all started with Cowboys return man, Cavante Turpin, who is listed at five foot seven, 155 pounds, I believe. And he actually has a pretty crazy story. So he's a 26 year old who went to TCU and was actually dismissed from the program in 2019 following a guilty plea of domestic violence. So he went undrafted. He bounced around. He actually spent some time in the fan-controlled football league as well as the European Football League before ultimately landing in the USFL and actually earned league MVP in the USFL this past season. And that is what led the Cowboys to give him a call, to bring him up, to give him a chance to help out in their return game. So, and he was actually the the only team that called him was the Cowboys. So he started the night off with a 98-yard kickoff return for touchdown. And then late later in the second quarter, he had an 86-yard punt return for touchdown, which was actually the more impressive return in my estimation. He actually was backpedaling as he caught the ball and sidestepped a defender at the, at the same time before juking three or four guys and cutting up the field before beating the uh, punter, J.K. Scott, for a long punt return touchdown. So, I, like I said, I know this is the last thing that Brandon Staley kind of wanted to see, especially after how many issues they had on, on special teams last year, which kind of led them to overhaul that, that position group and that coaching staff as well. So that wasn't, that wasn't kind of 
what he hoped for from that group. Um, obviously, like you said, there were no starting quarterbacks, but they did have some shining spots from their starting quarterback, Easton Stick. He actually showed some mobility and showed some showed some ability to get outside the pocket. He did have a couple costly turnovers in the first half as well, which I know he would like to have back. But the game was really decided by that second quarter and those two huge returns by Javante Turpin and the Cowboys. I know that Mike McCarthy has already told reporters that he thinks that Turpin has a great chance to be their return man for week one against the Buccaneers. So he may have secured himself a roster spot just over the weekend with the performance that he put on against the Chargers. Dave, one thing that stood out to me was the lack of passing for the Dallas Cowboys as well. I know they won 32 to 18 as well, but you know, in this day and age, especially in the modern NFL, we see a lot more throwing compared to running the ball. And I know, you know, with Cooper Rush and Ben DiNucci most likely being the second and third string, if they decide to keep third three three quarterbacks, they only had eight passes between the both of them. So and Will Grier, you know, he had only ten attempts. So they had only eighteen attempts between all three all three QBs. Again, just something that, you know, piques my interest a little bit because if Dak Prescott for some God knows reason goes down, you know, you gotta rely on Ben DiNucci and Cooper Rush. And we've seen them have to do that already, I believe it was two years ago at this point, uh, and they really struggled. So surprised they're not trying to develop Cooper Rush or Ben DiNucci more and have them ready to go for week one. Yeah, you know, I think they, on one hand, you say, well, if the starting quarterback goes down, it's a big problem. Well, there is an obvious nature to that, but also there are other teams where the playmakers present, they, you know, there's enough guys there where you could say the backup could step in and probably, you know, carry you through a little bit. But you're not really looking at that with the Cowboys. You know, you do have C.D. Lamb, and we have no idea what Ezekiel Elliott's going to look like, you know, going forward. So, I agree that if you look at that quarterback situation beyond Dak Prescott, it's not exactly inspiring. And I think one of the reasons that the numbers are so low in terms of the passing for this particular game was that you know they had two returns for touchdowns that like immediately just cuts out two of their drives right there. And Turpin in particular, you know, he 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 played well outside of that. He didn't have a ton of opportunities in in the offense itself, but he had a nice little end around and he broke edge contain. Like it was clear that they totally underestimated the speed that he had when he when he hit the edge. And even the announcers thought he was going to be tackled and he just shot right around him. So he looks like he, you know, potentially it's it's hard to say because he's so old, but potentially develop into a guy that makes contributions here and there even on the offense but who knows about that I, I mean I will say Dave too that the special teams gaffes were not just on the coverage units I believe they had a pretty horrendous shank on a on a, a field goal attempt too. the Chargers did and I, they just didn't really look that clean honestly I felt like the Chargers were the less clean team neither started super tight but I felt like the Cowboys settled in much more than the Chargers did. If if you tell me if you had that same feeling. Yeah, no, I kind of got the same the same feeling. I know that Brandon Staley kind of harped on that in his postgame presser that he really did not like how they came out to start the first half. So the first two quarters, he didn't like anything about what they were doing. But he did say that the second half was a lot better, that, that the Chargers did settle in and they did kind of play a little bit better in the second half. 
But at that point, and it was already 29 to 10 at halftime. So you kind of took the words out of my mouth, Max, when I was going to go straight to the game script for this game as to why the Cowboys had so few pass attempts. They really didn't need to pass the ball. I kind of understand Eric's point about why not pass the ball more to see what you have or see about developing guys like Danucci and Cooper Rush. But Turpin kind of gave them a 19-point halftime lead single-handedly. So they really didn't need to do much. They really just had to kind of massage the second half of the game to ensure that they would come out with a win. I know that um, defensive tackle Tristan Hill, who was a uh, 2019 second-round pick from UCF, he had a great um, strip sack and recovered the fumble as well from Easton Stick to kind of give the Cowboys the ball at the Chargers' 15-yard line, which was which ended with them capping off that with a touchdown right before the halftime buzzer. So that kind of led to that lead being what it was at the half. One shining star bright spot that Brandon Staley did harp on and that we kind of all were able to see if we watched the game was Joshua Palmer with the Chargers. And I know that he had some good moments last year. He scored four touchdowns last year, had over 350 receiving yards, former third round pick um, last year from Tennessee he kind of really showed that he might be a viable, even fantasy option going into this season. And he is going to be a big time contributor for the Chargers as we move ahead, not just in the preseason, but in the regular season. So I know that he was excited to see Josh Palmer have that showing, even though the offense and the special teams especially was very inconsistent and was very kind of all over the place. So that was good to see. I know another guy that he liked watching was Jamal Davis, the 27-year-old linebacker from Akron, who had two pretty big tackles for losses against them as well. And he just really likes his motor and kind of leaving his heart and soul out there on the field. Even in a preseason game, he was kind of playing all out all the time. So I know that those are a couple things that Staley was excited about, but all in all, pretty unimpressive performance. And I know that he even called out all five of their running backs, including Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree, who really didn't do much. As a whole, they had 23 rush attempts and only averaged 2.3 yards a carry. So that really didn't help out Easton Stick or Chase Daniel, the backup from last year at all, kind of as they moved into the game. Yeah, the the lack of effectiveness in the running game clearly stood out even without looking at the stats I noticed that and uh, I think Palmer did a nice job he is kind of their designated uh, burner I know Mike Williams is a good deep threat but he brings the size element and the go up and get it element he's not really the burner and Palmer does that a little bit more and I really like the screen design that he scored on that was really well designed and executed play I, I liked that a lot and the last thing before we move on to the next game is a Dallas player that I thought stood out to me, and I don't think you'll ever see him on the stat sheet aside from the one touchdown he had, was rookie tight end Jake Ferguson. He just looked like he belonged out there. He looked super comfortable. He played with a nastiness. like He was getting in guys' faces. I just like what he brought to the table, and I know that they have their starting tight end already well secured, but he is a guy who could definitely be a future player and probably a, a contributor in two tight end sets going forward. I like what I saw from him. 
you know, I know this is a preseason recap, but I also want to recap too on a little bit of the training camp. Did you guys see that? Uh, I believe it was Keenan Allen and uh, Travion Diggs little clip going around. Oh yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I just had to rub it in the Cowboys' face a little bit. You know, always always <laughs> fun to go after some Cowboys fans once in a while. It was a nasty throw. It really was. I mean, he was even in good coverage, just facing the wrong way, you know. And that's what Justin Herbert's going to do to you, man. He's going to do it to every team. If he plays the Eagles at some point this year, he'll do it to them too, for sure. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into the next game. I'm going to save my favorite of the two games I'm going to bring to the table for last, you know, and I'll save the dessert for a little bit later. First, I'm going to talk about the Carolina Panthers at the New England Patriots. So the very, very first thing I'm going to point out is the weird nature of the way that the Panthers operated with their quarterbacks. First off, P.J. Walker, he played drives one through three. Then Matt Corral played drives, what was it, four through six. So then he had three drives. P.J. Walker came back in and played drives seven through eight. And then after that, Corral comes back in and... He plays nine and 10. And on the 10th drive, he uh, injures his, he gets a Liz Frank injury. And now he's out for the season. And then we get PJ Walker back in for two more drives. So it was about as weird as I've seen a quarterback situation be handled, especially considering that neither of those guys project to be their first two starters. Like, I guess the idea is they were having them battle it out for quarterback three. But considering you just, traded a third round pick and spent a third round pick to get Matt Corral kind of seems like he's the obvious guy. So I'm not really sure what the goal was there. I didn't like listen to any kind of press conference from Matt rule afterwards, but that just jumped right out at me as being kind of bizarre. And then obviously the injury to Matt Corral is pretty unfortunate considering you were probably hoping that you might see something that would give you hope for the future from him. But it is what it is. Looking at uh, other aspects of the Carolina Panthers, Ikiakuanu's athleticism and power is clear, but he looked like he still had a, has a ways to go. He gave up a couple of pretty bad pressures that stalled their second drive, and one of them was a sack. It was not particularly good from him. The run game for them didn't do that much. They made it into field goal range a few times, but they were not really like an effective offense, I would say. For... The Patriots, they did not look crisp at all to start things out. They went three and out on their first drive, another three and out. Once they transitioned to um, Brian Hoyer, kind of cleaned up a little bit, but I don't think that really has much to do with the quarterback. Uh, that was just more about the competition that they were playing. I think competition declined on the other side of the ball, so they were able to be a little bit more effective. I would say Hoyer looked very Hoyer-esque, like exactly what we come to expect from him. The game was a little bit chippy, though. Like, guys guys were kind of getting in each other's faces. They were pushing each other around a little bit, more than I expect for, you know, a preseason game. The Pats' offense, just in general, looked discombobulated. They had a 12-man in the huddle penalty, which is just something you do not expect from the Patriots. After so many years of that offense being led by Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, you expect a lot of crispness. And now that that's not the situation anymore, you could really see it. Yeah, Max, uh, quick question for you. I actually didn't get to watch this game, but I know from game one uh, with the Patriots preseason week one, they were flipping the playbook over between Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, maybe? Yeah, Joe Judge, yeah. exactly. 
both were calling plays week one, which, you know, definitely could be causing for the slow start offensively and, you know, lack of communication, possibly the 12 person, uh, 12 men on the, on the field. So I was curious if you heard anything about Joe Judge and uh, Patricia also splitting some offensive plays. Yeah, I, I didn't look into it for this one. I know that they, they were doing that before, and I'm sure that they were doing it for this game. I watched the condensed version, which doesn't give you a lot of sideline time. But I will say that the offense looked better later on. So I'm not, I, I w- couldn't say drive by drive exactly, but the run game did start to heat up, did start to heat up. They are definitely using more outside zone schemes in the run game. You can see it. And JJ Taylor, he is a speedier guy and he looked more comfortable when they were doing that. He's not really a power guy, but he did hit some, some nice plays around the edge. They just don't have much in the way of playmakers down the field. So I'm not really sure if you could point to one particular play caller that made the difference. The only guy that really stood out to me as a, as a pass catcher was little Jordan Humphrey who played for the saints last year, past few years. And he kind of plays in the middle of the field, but he's not super crazy explosive. So he was moving the chains, but you know, not making a lot of explosive plays. And I think the problem was just that they didn't really have anything that threatened you deep. I mean, so Mac Jones does have a really nice deep ball, particularly throwing to the outside and deep. He throws it kind of like Russell Wilson, where it has a really beautiful arc rainbow to it and drops right where the receiver can get it. I think there was one where they weren't able to reel it in, but he also had a really nice one down the left side to Nelson Aguilar on a go route, and he was able to score on that play. So, I think if you're going to look for explosive plays, that's probably where it's going to come from. But I'm not sure, you know, if you're putting him up against the number ones from most defenses, that's going to happen the same way. You know, preseason week two is kind of a different story. So, yeah, kind of like what you guys were saying, everyone's been talking about the past couple months, whether Joe Judge is going to be calling plays for the Patriots offense or whether it's going to be Matt Patricia. I know Bill Belichick has said mums the word and isn't really giving the reporters much of anything about who that's going to be as we move into the regular season. Everyone wants to know who that's going to be to see how they might help Mac Jones's development. So I think the first two games that we've seen so far in the preseason really didn't help to answer any of those questions or resolve any of those things. So I think that the Patriots offense may have some growing pains as we move into the first half of the season. Kind of like what you were saying, Max, they, they really didn't look crisp, especially in the first half against the Panthers. And that was even with all second string guys on the Panthers defense playing. And they still shut out the Patriots for the first half, essentially. So I know that was not something that they wanted to see or that Phil Belichick wanted to see from the offense in particular. And I know they got dealt a big blow with Tyquan Thornton, their second round uh, rookie receiver from Baylor, who suffered a fractured clavicle in this game as well. So he might miss the first eight weeks of the season as well. So kind of like what you were saying, Max, they really don't have that many skill players. They don't have the horses that they did a few years ago when they had Tom Brady at the helm. So Mac Jones is going to be under pressure to do a lot more and perhaps accelerate in his development. So I think the unknown and the uncertainty around 
the play caller and who's going to kind of guide him along that path. I think there is no answer at this point, and I think that there's only more questions than there than there have been over the past couple months. Yeah, you know, it was pretty clear that the that the run game was the strength of the team, and it looks to me kind of like that will be the focus of their offense, and they'll just take you know kind of specific, carefully planned shots, you know, a few times a game, and try and hit on those. I will say that the Patriots did kind of settle in as the game went on, and it kind of seemed like the the Panthers declined as the game went on. I don't know if it was because the quarterbacks were moving in and out. I don't know that for a fact, but it kind of correlated with those fluctuations. On the 10th drive, on the, the drive where Corral got hurt, Anthony Jennings had a really nice pass rush for a sack. There were multiple false starts by the Panthers. It was just ugly, and after he injured himself, or got injured, I guess he was stepped on what was reported afterwards. Um, their following possession, which was their 11th drive, there was awful pass protection. Eventually, they had a third down where Walker was backed up into his end zone. He was strip sacked, and New England scores. And then the very next drive, which was the final of the game, Walker was intercepted, and that was it. So it just it kind of fell apart for them. So while I, I'm not going to write anything home that talks up the Patriots, at least they were able to you know, get into a little bit more of a groove while the Panthers kind of looked like unfortunate. And again, this is all second, third string guys, but it, they didn't look very well put together. So that's kind of where I'll leave this game because I don't want to rub it in anymore to necessarily either team. Let's jump into the Washington Commanders at the Kansas City Chiefs. We actually got to see some starting quarterback play, some legit starting quarterback play in this game. So Eric, why don't you walk us through what you saw here? Yeah, I got the privilege to probably cover, I would consider one of the better games, actually, in preseason week two. We got to see Patrick Mahomes, you know, all pro already, quarterback, MVP multiple times. And we can see Carson Wentz, you know, almost had an MVP season 2017. If it wasn't for that injury, I think probably wins the MVP. And ever since that season, it's really been a downhill career. So I'm going to start with the Chiefs. I'm going to start with the good. Mahomes, two drives, two two touchdowns. That's what you like to see from the offense. You know, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, you know, with Tyree Kill gone, uh, Sammy Watkins used to be there. He's also gone as well. It's kind of trying to figure out who who is going to take over these these roles now as the wide receivers. You obviously still have Travis Kelsey, but who else is going to step up? Uh, someone that really stepped up and, you know, I know Patrick Mahomes has been very impressed with and has started to really – you know, I, th- I think he's starting to get that trust with with this individual. Uh, that individual's name was Justin Watson. He's he looked he's he's uh he's from the he's from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. who's a fifth round pick in the 2018 draft, but he looked he looks pretty good. He had two receptions for 53 yards, so good for him. He also had uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, ex Packer coming over this year, two receptions, 14 yards. Travis Kelsey, two receptions, 23 yards. So. Passing game overall looked pretty good, especially when Mahomes was in there. Obviously, once you go down from Mahomes, it's a pretty big drop off. So, no other quarterback uh, on the team had a touchdown uh, throw. The one thing from the offense, so that does scare you a little bit with the Chiefs, and it really has the past few years now, is the running game. They're trying to figure out who is going to take over that lead back. You know, they thought Clyde Edwards Hilaire would be that answer. He's really been on and off, not really the hit they were looking for. He only had two carries uh, last game. 
and like I said, we'll kind of see as time goes on. Obviously, with Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be a pass-heavy team. We'll see what what running backs can get involved in the pass game because more likely than not, they won't be running the ball as much. Uh, more just like the play action type of setup. Notoriously, last year they didn't run the ball that much, even though they had so many too high shells. And it would be nice if they kind of found that piece of their offense. I'll say, you know, it looks like they still need to work out a little bit of chemistry, you know, throughout the entire offense. But Patrick Mahomes did look very good. Jody Forston was making some plays as well. I will tell you this. Ever since Tyreek Hill left, it is really weird to see a different player in the number 10. A player that does not move anything like Tyreek Hill did. It's just weird to see a Chiefs number 10 out there that doesn't have that explosion. And I got to be honest, I'm not sure I'm fully behind their whole aesthetic. They've got a wide receiver wearing number 24. They've got a running back wearing number 10. Maybe I'm just old school, but it's not appealing. Like it doesn't doesn't quite make sense to me. Maybe I'll come to love it if they're very good players, but it's kind of it's kind of a weird look and I I'm not really I'm not really really into it. So that, you know, aside from just generally looking pretty good at the top for the offense, that was my my main takeaway. Yeah, and I think you kind of said, Max, uh, one thing I noticed for sure was uh, Jody Fortson catching two touchdown passes. I know he only had four yards receiving, but he did have two touchdown catches. And I know after suffering a season-ending Achilles injury last October, they're really happy to have him back and potentially make plays for the team this upcoming season. I know... It was really the first feeling of NFL football is back, watching Mahomes throw some sidearm balls outside the pocket. That kind of really gave me my first glimpse of, wow, the regular season is really upon us. So that was awesome to see. Um, I know that something that the commanders were kind of struggling with was their third down efficiency. I know that Carson Wentz, went 0 for 3 on third down in classic Carson Wentz fashion. He seemed to take two sacks on third down as well. So with the positive potential plays he can make downfield, he also seems to have a propensity for disaster and or negative plays that seem to ruin drive sometimes. So I know that Ron Rivera and the commanders were not happy to see Carson Wentz be so inefficient and so ineffective for his short time playing in this game. But it definitely was good to see Pat Mahomes in the field throwing a couple of touchdown passes. But yeah, I do kind of think with what you guys were saying, it's going to be an adjustment getting used to no Tyreek Hill. Like you said, Max, a brand new number 10, adding guys like MBS, Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Juju Smith-Schuster. I think it's going to take some time for Mahomes to develop or kind of get some chemistry with those guys. So it's somewhat of an unknown what their offense is going to be this year. Travis Kelsey and Edwards Hilaire are really the only constants dating going back to last year. But it was still awesome to see Mahomes get out there, chuck some balls around in his typical fashion. So, yeah, that was kind of my takeaways from this from this one. Yeah, like you said, it was good to see Mahomes with the sidearm throws. We're so used to. We had a couple of those as well. And also finishing up on the Chiefs side as well, let's finish on the defensive side for them. Uh, the rookie first-round pick this year, George uh, Karlaftis, I believe is how Carl it's pronounced. Karlaftis, thank you. Uh, he finished with one sack on the game. Uh, so that's, you know, good to see your first-round pick, obviously. 
uh, getting some production. You also had uh, Chris Lammons, who had the uh, game-winning interception. So not too much from the second day, you know, not too much from the defense side of the ball. Obviously, they did their job against Carson Wentz and the Commanders. Let's get now to the Commanders, because that's a completely different story, at least in my mm-hmm. eyes, with you know how they looked in preseason week two. So we'll start with the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Carson Wentz has played five full drives in two games so far this year. So he had, I believe he had three this this game, this game, uh, and then two his first game. And both were going to second quarter. So he got, I would say, a decent amount of playing time, you know, for being already the name starter. And, you know, mo- most quarterbacks get maybe two or three drives at most their whole preseason. Carson Wentz is already at five. I'm assuming he won't play preseason game week three but you know with how bad this offense has looked we'll we'll see he he is 16 for 22 on passing so far as preseason with 138 touchdowns uh with no touchdowns and no interceptions so that's good you know once there's a tendency to try to force throws in sometimes and can be a little bit turnover happy but just looking at this game alone he he struggled Kansas City had most of their defensive starters out uh out there and Wentz only threw the ball nine times, completed six, so good completion percentage, however, 64 yards. But the big thing that stood out to me is being an Eagles fan, I've seen this story way too many times. Carson Wentz just holding onto the ball for too long, you know, taking the sack, which got him out of field goal range. And, you know, again, it's preseason. I understand maybe he's, you know, trying to make something happen. Just, you know, it doesn't matter either way. But in a real game, that would drive coaches crazy, the fact that, took a sack it was actually a false start before that as well so he had a false start which already put him on the fringe of field goal territory and taking a sack right there when you know he could have threw it away or just checked it down and instead they had a punt there so Wentz does Wentz things he looks great one time you know a couple throws and then the next throws you're scratching your head saying what is he thinking so we'll see what he does in the regular season but again not impressed so far with what I've seen from Wentz this preseason yeah, I don't think it's too hard to find things to bash Carson Wentz for sure. He has kind of given plenty of people plenty of material about what he's done over the past couple of years. But I think we should give the Chiefs starters some credit. The Chiefs starters on defense. I know that Andy Reid is loving the way that they're flying around even in preseason. Through the first two preseason games, the Chiefs starters have yet to give up a single point. So I know that they're playing like they think it's the regular season. So I know that Wentz has his ups and downs, but the Chiefs defense looks sharp once again, just like they did last week. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The Chiefs defense did look good. LeJarius Sneed had excellent coverage for a really good pass breakup on Curtis Samuel early in the game. Nick Bolton was making plays in the run and the pass. Like He looks like he's pretty legit. And Carl Aftis had the sack. I think it was one of those, you know, and I don't want to take away from it, but it was kind of an effort sack, as they say. You know, it wasn't like a quick pass rush. He fought through a double team, you know, hit the quarterback on on an attempt to escape. But, you know, overall, they do look really, really good. The The thing I'll say about, about the, the commanders is that regardless of how good the Chiefs were playing, Carson Wentz just didn't look comfortable out there. You could just see that he didn't have an ease with with which he was playing. Both quarterbacks, both starters played for three drives and then came out. And I know that the talent level probably went down a little bit with the Chiefs, but they've got a lot of good players. And to be perfectly honest, 
the quarterback that looked the best out there for the commanders was Taylor Heineke. I mean, you know, he doesn't have the arm. He doesn't have all that stuff, but he operated the offense more effectively than either of the other quarterbacks. And speaking of quarterbacks for the commanders, you know, who didn't look that good was um, their fifth round pick, Sam Howell. You know, he had some nice throws. He had some a few accurate passes. You know what's something that, that I didn't notice before? And I, I can't say that I did a real deep dive on him, but sometimes when a player gets to the NFL, you just see things more clearly because you see what he looks like actually like standing next to you and moving around other NFL players. He has this bizarrely wide base. Like if you watch him, if you see him play, if you, even if you go back and watch this game at all, his legs are so wide spread apart when when he's passing and I think it affects his his accuracy at times. He had a pretty a couple of pretty bad overthrows. And also even when he runs his base is really wide. I'm not sure what that comes from, but it, it it's it's genuinely noticeable. Cam Sims, I got to give him some credit. He's a player that I always kind of liked for them. I thought he might develop into something a little bit more than he did. And he got absolutely rocked. He was the player that took a big hit deep down the middle and then came back for a touchdown reception a few plays later. So you got to give him credit because he he got smashed to the turf. And I didn't know if he was going to be coming back even in the next couple of weeks, let alone that game. You know, it looked like likely concussion, but he he came back in. Moving to the defense side of the ball for the for the commanders, you also th- this is this is going to be their bread and butter. This is what's going to win them games, and they came out trying. Uh, they played every starter except for Chase Young, obviously who's coming off the ACL. Want to keep him, you know, fresh, ready for the go the regular season. And you actually saw it pretty early how much you know they they were they were they were selling some packages that you don't see during the preseason. It was one of the drop one of the third and si- one of the drives. I think it was the second drive. Mahomes had a. Uh, third and six and Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator for the commanders decided to send a fire zone blitz. And anybody unfamiliar with that, it's where you bring back all the, all the big guys. So you bring back all the men on the defensive lines and all the small guys right at the, uh, right at the line. So it can be a little confusing, especially for preseason. You're not really expecting something like that. Mahomes was able to get the ball out and complete that, that third and six. So, you definitely saw the commanders definitely putting some effort into the defensive side of the ball, wanting to really stop Mahomes. And, you know, sometimes just a quarterback like Mahomes is going to be able just to beat that. And you got to tip this cap to him. But I don't know if anybody saw, but Cole Holmcomb, one of the uh, middle, one of the linebacker for the commanders was super frustrated with that. Um, he, they, they really struggled getting to the quarterback last year, blitz wise. And, you know, they were just relying a lot on their front four last year. And again, they struggled this game and he actually threw his helmet onto the ground, was screaming in frustration. So he understands that, you know, they got to go back to the film and really try to figure this out before game one of the regular season. Because like I said, I think it's going to, I think most NFL fans can agree that the commanders are going to get a lot of their wins because of their defense, giving the offense good field position. And, you know, hopefully the commanders can force turnovers from the quarterback and, Again, allow Carson Wentz to work a short field. So, I think uh, I think they have some skill players. You know, I think uh, Ryan Robinson ran with some power, looked pretty good out there. I think they have skill players. The offensive line's a little question mark. Quarterback's a big question mark, and so relying on the defense probably is going to be the strength for the team. And obviously, we know that their defensive line is very, very talented. But 
The defender who stood out the most to me just in this particular preseason game was Kendall Fuller. He looked really good in coverage. It's good to see him locking down on the outside. I know he's played a fair amount inside, but he he looks like he's a legitimate starting corner option for them. And, you know, throughout his early career, there were some people very optimistic about him and then didn't look super comfortable, didn't have the same performance that they hoped, but he looks like he's going to have a good year. Yeah, and also someone that to me as well was Montez Sweat, obviously great defensive end player. He did he did register three hurries and also had a sack with 16 pass rushing snaps. So good to see Montez Sweat, you know, the uh, continue right where he left off last season. And actually a little fun fact, he was Kendall Fuller. He was targeted six times. He did give up a touchdown, but he only allowed two catches. So, you know, obviously with Mahomes and the – maybe not as explosive offense as they used to have. It's still Patrick Mahomes. It's, you know, you're bound to get up some catches. And the fact that he was able to force three incompletions, that's a, that's a good sign for Commanders fans. All right, so let's move on to the final game that we're covering tonight, and that's going to be the Denver Broncos at the Buffalo Bills. So Denver did not play their starting quarterback. The Bills did, and you would have thought that they had their starting quarterback in for the entire game. This might have been the most dominant offensive performance that I have ever seen. And I don't care if you want to point to any regular season game, like say what you will about competition. The Bills scored over and over and over again. And every single offensive play was almost 100% effective. I mean, on the first, the first drive, touchdown to Gabriel Davis. Second drive, touchdown run by Zach Moss. Third drive, touchdown run by Zach Moss. Fourth drive, touchdown reception from O.J. Howard. Uh, Case Keenum took over for drives two through four. Going on to possession number five, Duke Johnson, rush touchdown. <laughs> number six, this, this, this is when uh, Blackshear, the running back, kind of took over. But Duke Johnson still closed out that drive for another rushing touchdown. I think their last possession, the seventh, was the only one where they didn't score and they punted at midfield. And they only had seven drives because every single one was sustained. The game went by super fast because even their throwing, all their passes were completions. It was it was bizarre. Like I I didn't actually know what happened in this game before I went back to watch it, and it was wild. Like. It, it was pure domination. Every run play was a positive gain of like four plus yards. Every pass play was a completion. And it, it's legitimately scary. I understand that they have a new coaching staff in Denver, but the Buffalo Bills offense from starter to the deepest depths of their backups looks extremely well coached and very talented. I was, ex- I was incredibly impressed. Yeah, I think, the main takeaway that I have from this game is what the heck can we expect from the Bills' backfield this season? I think that's something that a lot of fantasy owners are going to be questioning and wondering about as we move into the first part of this year. As you said, Max, Duke, jo- Duke Johnson had two touchdowns the other day. And Zach Moss, another guy they've had for a few years, had two touchdowns as well. So I know it's been Singletary and Moss the past couple years, kind of going back and forth between those two. But with the addition of Duke Johnson, a kind of pass catcher, change of pace back, 
and their new second round pick, James Cook from Georgia, who a lot of people expect to take over the starting job from all of those guys that I just named at some point this season. All of them averaged more than five and a half yards a carry in this game. Singletary and James Cook both averaged more than nine yards a carry. (laughs) So I'm curious to see... I'm curious to see what this backfield looks like or evolves into. Obviously, everyone's going to point to Josh Allen. He went three for three with 45 yards and a touchdown. And as you said, Max, pretty much every complete every pass throw was a completion. The Bills played as many quarterbacks in this game as they had completions. Case Keenum had two of them. Matt Barkley had one. So they were clicking on all cylinders, but I'm really curious to see how this backfield manifests or evolves and kind of comes to form as we move into the first quarter, first month of the season. Yeah, this is why this is why the Bills are our favorite winning Super Bowl this year. I mean, it's it's scary. It just this is what good teams look like, honestly. It's just first first team looks great. Second team looks great. Third team looks great. There's not much more to say about about this game, at least from the Bills' perspective. Um, I'm excited to see them play this year. I'm, I usually am uh, very biased towards just the Eagles, but this year I think uh, I'm hopping on the Bills' wagon. Bills' mafia. <laughs> you kind of have to. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. As far as their backfield, I think you know, I think Devin Singletary will be the starter to to begin the season. I think there's a good chance that. Uh, James Cook is their their number two back, their third down back. They like to throw the ball, so they want multiple running backs who can catch the ball and do damage with it. One of the things that teams did to them last year, similar to the Chiefs, was a lot of too high shells. And late in the year, finally, Josh Allen was able to step back, get patient, and take all those underneath throws. And now, if you bring in a guy like James Cook, what you hope is those underneath throws go to a guy that can be very explosive and really punish the defense, you know, and instead of just being patient, you're actually getting explosive plays out of that. So I think that's kind of the long-term plan, but for fantasy owners, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how soon that will happen necessarily. So it's hard to give you a projection on that. As far as the, the Broncos go, I'll give you a rundown of what their offensive output looked like. Field goal on first possession, they went three and out. They did get, uh, they were helped by a penalty and were still not able to get their own first down. Got into field goal range for the third drive, fourth possession, three and out. Kneeled down for halftime, fifth possession, long McManus field goal. So everything they're getting is in the kicking game. Sixth possession, uh, they do get a touchdown in the back of the end zone from uh, actually, Brett Rippon. So that was the only quarterback who actually scored any points for them. And then the final possession, uh, he was trying to make things happen, but they took a huge sack on fourth and goal to end the game. So it was kind of like a putting a little bit of water on the embers there to to, to send you on your way. It, it just, I don't know if I can even put it in a good perspective because it was just so ugly compared to what the Bills were doing. I'm not sure if it would have been that outrageously ugly if you compare it to any of the other games or any of the other teams that I watched. Maybe they would have been a bit more competitive, but it just looked like like the Bills could do anything they wanted, and the Broncos were struggling to to manage anything. So, I don't know. I 
I enjoyed watching this game from the Bills' perspective. It makes me a little bit worried about the Broncos. I know they didn't really have starters out there, but you know, a lot of times you can kind of see the overall function of an offense or overall function of a defense, even if you're not seeing the starters, right? Like I said, with the Bills, even their second, third team guys looked excellent. And uh, you just didn't see that with this with this Denver team. So I think, honestly, we can probably consider them to be one of the weaker one of the weaker teams in the AFC West, if not maybe even the weakest behind Las Vegas. And despite bringing in Russell Wilson, I, I'm a little concerned about making any kind of playoff prediction for them. You know, I think I think that's fair to say, especially because the Broncos have the most unknowns and the most question marks kind of going into the season, especially with all the new additions they've made, including Russell Wilson. Kind of like what you said, it really was looking and kind of like Eric said, there's the bills are the Super Bowl favorites for a reason. Josh Allen is the favorite odds on favorite, at least to win MVP this year. So I don't think those odds have changed at all. After watching this game, it really was like watching one of the best teams in football go up against a JV team. I know the Broncos didn't have any of their starters playing, so I'm not going to put too much stock into how this game played out. But the Bills were very impressive, like you said. And another weapon that that they've added who might be a sneaky add is tight end O.J. Howard, the 27-year-old tight end they got from the Buccaneers who had a nice touchdown catch from Case Keenum in this game. So he might give them some more versatility at the position to go along with Dawson Knox, who had a breakout year last year. So it really was kind of like the rich the rich getting richer. And I'm not going to put too much stock into how the Broncos looked or their prospects moving forward in, the, in the, this season and how the playoffs might pan out. But kind of like what you said, they are in probably the best division in football. And if they lose a few division games early on with Russell Wilson getting acclimated to his new teammates and his new coaching staff, that might just be too hard to overcome and come back from given the division that they play in. Yeah, I was going to say that shocks me when you have, you know, Russell, Russell Wilson as your quarterback and you guys are saying that they're probably going to be last in division. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know. We'll see what the Raiders can do. You know, obviously with. Devontae Adams Raiders are, you know, on a whole new level now with offensive wise, but Broncos still have a solid team and they still, I think won seven games last year behind Teddy Bridgewater. So we'll see, but yeah, like you guys are saying, just to wrap it up with this game as well, it's just, this is why you can see the bills being a very, they, they're just, they're just beyond prepared compared to what the Broncos are. It seems like at this time, I know, again, you said Broncos brought in a lot of new players, but Bills, Bills look ready to go. They look ready to just, they look look like they're ready for already week week fifteen of the season. And you can be shocked, but I don't think it's that big of a knock on Russell Wilson. Look at the quarterbacks that are in that division. The other two top MVP candidates, odds on favorite outside of Josh Allen, are Pat Mahomes and Justin Herbert. So he has to go up against both of those guys twice this year. So I don't think it's crazy at all to say the Broncos could finish last in that division because it is a stacked division, especially with the Raiders adding Devontae Adams and guys like Chandler Jones. So I think that division is going to be one of the most exciting divisions to watch as we move forward. And I think there'll be a lot of pressure on the Broncos and Russell Wilson in the first month, two months of the season 
to make sure they, they don't get off to a bad start because, like I said, that might be tough to come back from given the other quarterbacks that are in that division. We're going to be talking about the Broncos shortly this week because we're going to cover them on our Friday AFC West Divisional Preview. So, you know, a lot of this conversation will be had then. But they do bring in Russell Wilson, but they also bring in a head coach who obviously has never been a head coach before. And they lose Vic Fangio, who, for whatever his warts are as a head coach, was and is one of the best defensive minds in the NFL right now. So you don't know exactly what the defense is going to look like. Yeah, they've got some good players on offense and defense, but would it surprise you at all if they go one and five in the division? They could they could very well lose both Chargers games, both Chiefs games, and then go one and one against the Raiders. So that doesn't exactly put them in a good place to start. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think it would be unrealistic to predict that. And then at, at that point, you know, how, how many more games than the Raiders do you think that they win in the year? It's probably pretty close. Josh McDaniels is a much more established coach. They bring over Patrick Graham as a, a pretty good defensive coordinator from the Giants. You know, he did a really nice job with them in, overall. So I, I, I'm not saying that it's obviously number four in the division, but I think it, it could be. And I think that could surprise some people. And, and all I'm saying is this game didn't do anything to prove to me otherwise, I guess we can put it. Guys, thank you so much for joining me to recap some of these big games from week number two of the preseason. Like I said, we're not going to do preseason week number three. We have a, a interesting array of episodes coming up next week after we finish our final two divisional episodes uh, this Wednesday and this Friday. We're going to have a bunch of different episodes covering uh, college football. We're going to look at all the Power Five conferences in greater depth. We are going to have a fantasy designated episode where we're going to talk all about fantasy. We're going to have a draft episode where we look at all of the rookies that we think are going to have bigger impacts this year, as well as some potential prospects for next year's draft. And we're going to make predictions for the season. And this is all right before the season kicks off. So that's what to look forward to over the next two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Dave, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you before we sign off here? Of course, if anybody wants to follow me, I am at Dave Guberman on Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Instagram or TikTok, you can find me at D-A-G-U-B-E-R-M. And all right, Eric, how about you? Why don't you let everyone know where they can find you between now and when we start our recaps for week one? Yeah, follow me on the best social media platform at Twitter at The Real Hitcher. <laughs> Uh, you got you getting some uh, some uh, promotional revenue from <laughs> from Twitter there. <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again. We'll see you both very soon. Thanks again, Max. Go birds. Tighten up. As always, big thanks to everybody who made it all the way through the episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at the Max Dean, and our show is available anywhere podcasts are hosted. This Wednesday, we're going to be jumping right back into our divisional previews as we talk about the NFC West. Our final divisional preview will be Friday with the AFC West, and then we're going to jump into our final preseason shows leading up to the kickoff of the regular season. So stick with us. We have some awesome content coming up, and we'll see you all very soon.